0: By reading the text I'm, I'm gonna read Genesis 3 which is also like page 2 or 3 in your Bible if anyone still has actual paper Bibles uh, the first 11 verses go like this in the NRSV now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made he said to the woman did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden Tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they'd s- sewn together fig leaves and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The, Lord, uh, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So there's a lot in this text, and this text frankly has been the grounds for a lot of painful things within the church. Uh, This is the text that's used for uh, some some gender baggage that we've had for centuries now, and um, I think that's a misreading of the text. I'm going to give some resources this week that kind of Point to that, but this has been used as a way to say the woman sinned first, and so the the man should be in charge. I don't think that's what the text is intending to say at all. Um, we'll get into it for a second today, but more I'll give you some resources this week to look at. This is also a text often talked about as original sin, and I would say that's not so much what it's about. Um, there's a podcast that we're going to load onto the resource page as well that's a little bit about that and hopefully you look at that if you want to have conversations let's have conversations about that but we're going to talk about because we only have so long is we're going to talk about some ramifications of this what we're going to call the first rebellion and as we go through genesis 1 through 11 we're going to see several rebellions but this is the first one that's that's recorded here and remember as we're going through genesis that we're trying to understand how the first hearers would have understood this so if you were here last week we had a big timeline built out and whether you think it was Moses at at like the time in the desert or whether you think it was the source at the time of the exile this is written to a people who are leaving their land or have no land have no home really in turmoil asking existential questions of like how did we get here what is this about what is happening We're going to enter into those questions with them, okay? So this passage, in many ways, is about two trees. There's the tree of life, which we're going to see at the end of of Genesis 3. And, And really, if you follow into the New Testament, there's this idea of God being the source of life, right? We know this from, that probably kicks up some phrases of Jesus. And then there's this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that tree is not a bad tree. It's not evil. The tree isn't evil. God made it and said it was good, right? So how did all of this happen? Now there's some really smart people who say that it was not yet time to eat of the tree. That at some time God intended for man and woman to eat of the tree, but it wasn't yet time. There are other people who are really smart who say that it was a test, that God was trying to put some boundaries like we put for children, and they were supposed to respect the boundaries that God had set out, and it was this test for man and woman. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But the res- I know what the result is. The result is what I would call defiant intelligence. You know how we have like emotional intelligence and spatial intelligence, all of this. This is what I would call defiant intelligence. And behind it was this idea that Genesis 1 and 2 is we will have a relationship with God and God will reveal how to navigate life. What's good for us? What's not good for us? All of this but it's dependent on this relationship to God. And then there's this tree. And if we eat of the tree, we don't need that relationship. We can be defiant to that relationship and establish what is good and evil on our own. And as we know, that's an attractive idea, right? To be the smartest person in the room. When I was a teenager, I was constantly the smartest person in my house. My mom and dad didn't know nearly as much. Then I had children, and I called them and repented. But I was the smartest. We have this defiant intelligence where you say this, but I am certain I know better. And that is the fruit of this tree. You don't need that relationship with God. You can know for yourself. And I think we get how that could be appealing. So there's also this serpent, right? Now, by the time we get into Paul's writings and really into the second century, and it's the second of history, but second century after Jesus, the serpent is really identified with Satan. But to the first hearers, that's, that's, it's just a serpent. It's not evil. God created everything. It did represent chaos. It did represent disorder. If you were here last week, we talked about creation being really creative and ordering both of those things. The serpent represented disorder. It was a chaos creature, kind of like if you watch Marvel, Loki is is not a hero or a villain. Loki is a chaos creature. Throughout mythology, there are all of these people who are chaos. They, They thrive on chaos. And that's the way the serpent was understood at the time. And the serpent uh, told partial truths, but the serpent was listened to. This is a big deal for us. If you were in slow invasion with us this summer, we continued to ask the question Who told you? This is what God asked of the man, right? Who told you? And this is a question I would encourage you as you're just sitting in spaces with God, opening up scripture, praying. Pay attention to who told you. It's one of the most important questions in Scripture, and one of the best questions for us to ask. Who are the voices that matter? Whose voices do you listen to? Because here's what we find. Scripture, God, maybe our parents, our best friends, maybe our spouses, can all speak to the reality of who we are. That you're an image-bearer. But if there's one voice that says something different, it sounds like this. Five are in tune, but one is off, and we pay attention to the one that's off, right? Five are saying, you are an image bearer, and one says, you are lousy, and sometimes that one catches our ear. Five say that you should continue to move on in joy, knowing that God is with you, and one says you should doubt. You should reach for the fruit on your own. We pay attention to that one. Kind of like an out-of-tune string. It's just the only one that we hear. That's horrible. Thank you. <laughs> you did your roll. Wow!
1: <laughs> Notice that one. Thanks, Matt. So think for a moment, zoom out of Genesis 3 into your own life. Who are these voices that you listen to? Why do they matter so much? For some of it, a, it's a voice of like a parent. A voice of a kid.
0: A voice of somebody who does just relationally really matter. It's the kind of stuff that gets worked out in, in counseling or spiritual direction or in a good small group. Who gave that voice authority? Is that someone who really has authority over you? Or somebody that you handed authority over? Maybe it's just a neighbor that for some reason you're pretending that neighbor's opinion really matters more than everybody else. If you gave them authority, then that's your job to take that authority back.
1: Are those voices real? Are they imagined? Is that really what somebody thinks? Or do you just think
0: that's what they think? I remember after my dad died, I was certain that I knew what his friends thought of me. And it was so crippling that I had to go ask them and find out that I was completely wrong. It was one of the most liberating things when I went to these grown men and, and just asked really vulnerable, like, what do you think of me? And found out that they were proud of me. That they liked me. Because I lived like this boombox on my shoulder of their voices saying the opposite. Who told you? Maybe for some of you, the sermon's done right now. And you just need to sit still and really think through this. Who are the voices that I'm listening to? And who is the loudest? And who do I answer to? But the text goes on. And listening to this voice had some real consequences. And so the, the first time in Scripture the word curse comes up. Now we're going to sit on curse for just a minute. I think of curse as like some hex, right? Like some like witchcrafty thing that's done over somebody. When Scripture is talking about a curse, what I want you to, to put as the definition in your mind, you read curse, realize that that is a removal of God's protection and favor, The curse means that God's protection and favor is gone. If that feels like a hex, that tells you how powerful God's protection and favor is. Right? It's not that God is wanting everything to fall apart because he's so angry. God gets angry. His intention is for creation to thrive and flourish. And so a curse is given here at this text. Which means protection and favor is lifted. But what is cursed? I'm going to pay really close attention as I read this. Maybe Read along if you want, but maybe even it's more helpful, just close your eyes and and listen carefully. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for of it you were taken. You are dust, until dust you shall
1: return. What was cursed? There were two things that were actually cursed. The serpent, right?
0: The serpent and the ground. Somehow this is read as Eve and Adam were cursed. They don't have names yet. It's still man and woman, wife and husband. But it is the serpent that is cursed, and it is the ground that is cursed. God's favor is removed from the ground, and then there are consequences for our action like there is. And God says there is pain for the woman now. I don't think he likes it, but he's like, "There's pain. There's pain with your children, and there's pain in your relationship with your husband, where you strive for an equality that you had in Genesis two, and you no longer now there's tension there." Now, this word "pain" in Hebrew is not physical pain, though. Good night, child. Like rearing and birthing, that is pain. But this is a this is a mental pain. This is a word that actually means like anxiety, anguish lack, this fear that there is something off. The consequences of eating of this defiant, intelligent fruit is that we're given anxiety that relationally we're not okay, we're not equal, we're not not where we should be. There's anxiety in rearing of children and of before children are conceived. Will we have them? Will they be healthy? All of that. Does that make some sense? Have we felt that anxiety? And then for man, and let's not just think gender as if a man can't be anxious for their child, but for the man, the ground is cursed. And so it's work. And there's pain, the same word for pain. There's anxiety. Will there be enough? Will my work produce anything? Are we going to live with lack? Or can I trust and actually rest on the Sabbath? The effect of reaching for this good and evil on our own is that all of a sudden there is this anxiety of, I don't know if I'll have enough. I don't know if my family will be okay. I don't know if relationships are going to be okay. I don't,
1: I don't know. It's all off. you ever felt that? You see, God doesn't want us to live that way. He doesn't want us to stay
0: that way. He feels grief, and in this beautiful act, clothes the man and the woman in animal skins. Because the reality of what they're walking into is heavier. It's harsher. And then he gives them this gift which I think I'll write on something and post it on Wednesday. But they lose access to the tree of life which is actually
1: an act of grace. They don't have to live that way forever. Forever. And so they're banished
0: from this tree of life, which the tree of life is really an antidote to death. Now to us, at least if you're like me, I think like, man, you all lost the garden. There had to be some amazing fruit there, like some great tastes. You lost easy living. You lost relaxation. All of that. But to an Israelite, to an early hearer, all of this, was about the loss of access to God. All of it. Dr. John Walton says this, the most lamentable result of sin to an Israelite is not that it makes, you, makes people bad. That's, sadly, that's what I think of. But that it makes God distant. The result of Genesis 3 is God's distance. And when God is distant, people are fraught with anxiety and violence, oppression. We see that in this text. Now we know Jesus, right? Jesus comes as Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us, so that distance is starting to be resolved. We know that Jesus leaves to send the Holy Spirit who is not just with us, but within us. And if you feel that, that's wonderful. That's where we want to live. Jesus comes to bring life. The fruit of the other tree, right? God is too good. His grace is that we won't eat that of that tree when we're living in this anxiety, but that we will eat of that tree when we know this wholeness through Jesus, that we will know life. That's what we celebrate even
1: in communion. But what do we do in light of the fruit of this rebellion?
0: Sometimes we double down and say we are the experts on good and evil, right? All oh, this world is so bad, if they only would do good like me. I think that's, I think that's kind of the wrong tree. Oh, those are the bad people. Let's scapegoat them. And if, if we label them bad and us good, that's the wrong tree, guys. That's the tree that got us into this. It's good and evil defined by God today. Not in my understanding of how God defined it, but as God wants to define it right now, our work is to press into this source of life again. And if we're going to press into this source of life, it requires us to be honest about today. I got to be in this great class this week, and the professor kept saying that we often rush to Easter Sunday because we know that it's true, but you only get to Easter by feeling
1: Friday. And right now... At least for me, this world feels like Friday. I'm away and I hear about our city, right? I hear about our young man, Tyree Smith, at a bus stop. I hear about on the interstate, people just driving to work.
0: According to LMPD, this was reported by Wave 3. Listen to these stats, and you know this, but the number of teenagers shot in 2018 was 32. 32 too many. Just in Louisville alone in 2019, that went up to 51. 2020, when we're in pandemic, it's 82.
1: So far, we're only in September, and there's 72. 72. way too many we're hurting this is on top of covid this need for justice this need for
0: reform this is on top of all the mental illness that's being pressed out in the midst of this if you're feeling anxiety or depression i want you to know you're not alone please don't be alone i don't have a cure to give you but i'll pray with you and i have referrals to counseling and like there's, there's healing through those things. Like we, we, can, we can do this, but this is real. And the answer is not to say, hey, we are right. We've got the right way to do this. That's not the answer, guys. Reality
1: is we are born outside of Eden. And though we know the ending, these middle chapters are really hard. And it's okay for us to sometimes
0: pause and admit that these middle chapters are hard.
1: If this last year and a half or longer has been really hard for you, it's okay. It's safe to say that. If it feels like it's not right, that's because it's not.
0: This isn't what God intended. And God, in God's mercy, blocks this tree of life so we won't have this pain forever. I want us to
1: see the grace that that is. God doesn't want you to suffer forever. That's why we can't go eat of that tree.
0: This anxiety, this depression, this pain, this oppression, this fighting between who matters and who doesn't, who, who is the dignity of being
1: recognized as human and who isn't. All, that's All of this. This violence. this defiant intelligence. To this, to a place like this, to a time like this, Jesus came as Emmanuel. Into into the middle of this, God has been working out how to bring life and life
0: to the full. And I don't want you to lose hope, but I also don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't know the ache of this world. We can't pretend that that's not reality. We can't pretend that as much as Genesis 1 and 2 are the world that we live in, so is
1: Genesis 3. The first act that Adam did was name Eve, like
0: he had named the animals. And some say it's beautiful that he names her life. Maybe. I also think it's weird that he named everything that he was over. And then, as soon as they ate, as soon as the, the fear of anxiety of where people stand in relationship, he named her. The church since then has used this as baggage to keep genders apart and
1: from misunderstanding each other.
0: We're going to change things up as we close a little bit. This morning I was just looking for a way to be honest about um, where we are and not lose sight of who Jesus is. And so I found this, this beautiful liturgy um, on Missio Alliance. I, I did not write this. We'll, we'll post where this came from too. And you probably have cards or if you don't, Uh, go ahead and raise your hand and Kat will bring it to you. I'm going to read a chunk of this liturgy and then Joshua's going to represent and be with all of you. And you guys are going to read this in response, okay? You read that in response. Then we're going to receive communion together. And um, if you're wanting someone to pray with, to talk with all of this, as service closes, let, let's meet over here. We'll have people who will be happy to pray with you, talk with you, all of that. But as a close to this message, let's, let's read this piece of liturgy as, a, as our prayer, okay? Lord, we hold space for and mourn with those who have lost loved ones during the pandemic. We grieve that their lives... Their love, their presence, and their contributions that were cut short because of the pandemic. Help us honor the ways they cared for us and loved us into being. We're grateful for their love and light. May their love become a legacy that encourages us through dark nights and cloudy days. May their love surround us and
2: bring us comfort, reminding us that we are not alone. God, comfort us save us redeem us heal us forgive us and liberate us lord
0: we lament our inability to collectively grieve the loss of so many loved ones because of a pandemic we grieve that all we are left with is our anger frustration
2: and our deep sorrow god comfort us save us Redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us. Lord, we confess confess that
0: through intimidation, torture, terror, voter suppression, our country has a long history of denying residents the right to make their voices heard. We acknowledge that this is a collaboration with evil powers and principalities. For the silent and complicit among us, we repent for empowering
2: and allowing these systems to harm those made in your image. God, comfort us, save us, redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us.
0: Lord, we grieve systems of oppression that force us to place our bodies into postures of resistance, protest, and disruption. We grieve the failure of the powerful to see their shared humanity and those without power we grieve that these systems of oppression rob us of time, place, rest, and being.
2: God, comfort us, save us, redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us.
0: Lord, give us the strength to give up our predilection for violence and empower us with the good news that the Creator God in Jesus has already acted on our behalf to end our alienation. Jesus, invite us to live a new life where the
2: hostility between us has been destroyed. God, comfort us, save us, redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us. Lord, we mourn the ways that we have internalized
0: false messages that lead us to believe that we are not enough, that we're not valued. We mourn the false message that we are less than or that we are worth more than others. We mourn the false message that we do not measure up, Lord.
2: Remind us again that we are irrevocably beloved in your eyes. God, comfort us, save us, redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us.
0: Lord, we resist the ways that we are told to do more, to buy more, to sell more, to control more, to know
2: more, to be more, or to have more. God, comfort us, save us. Redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us. Lord, we grieve that the intercessors, the
0: artists, the prophets, the breach repairs, and the heralds among us have been ignored, marginalized, minimalized, and silenced. God, would you restore their voice and give us ears to hear?
2: God, comfort us, save us, redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us. Lord, we grieve that we are still marching, still protesting, and still
0: placing our bodies into the wheels of oppression for liberation, for peace, for equality. We're tired, we're sad, we're disillusioned. God, we need you to meet us as we march. God, we need you to meet us as we protest. God, we need you to remind us of your body that was placed into the wheels
2: of oppression to free us. God, comfort us, save us, Redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us. Lord, we grieve our lack of belonging and the denial of redemption.
0: We lament that at times we feel stuck. We long for a space where we can share our most authentic selves with the world and find solace in genuine community, a community that is actively partnering with the Holy Spirit to break the predilection to violence, harm, and the crushing wheels of oppression.
2: God, comfort us, save us, redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us. Lord, for our city, the violence, the loss, the division, and the pain. God, comfort us, save us, redeem us, heal us, forgive us, and liberate us.